Hey, y'all. From NPR, it's been a minute. I'm Elise Hugh, filling in for Sam this week. It's Tuesday, and just because Sam's gone doesn't mean we're taking a break. Today, I'm talking with Stephen Yawn. If the name isn't immediately ringing a bell, let me help jog your memory. He was the breakout star on AMC's The Walking Dead, the most watched show on cable TV, until he died a violent death, as characters do on that show. People are still pretty broken up about it, though. Uh, Lately, he's been popping up all over the place. This year, he was in the acclaimed film Sorry to Bother You. He also jumps across the ocean to do Korean language work from well-known Korean directors. Right now, he's playing an inscrutable Gatsby-like character in the thriller Burning. It's South Korea's submission to next year's Academy Awards. I talked to him about toggling between East and West, his identity journey uh, from his childhood, going from not seeing anyone who looked like him in kindergarten to learning to be a lot more comfortable in his own skin at this big moment for Asian representation in Hollywood. Stephen and I also got to chat about our shared experience of living in Seoul for long stretches. He works there a lot now, and I just moved back from three years in Seoul as NPR's bureau chief in South Korea. So here it is, y'all. Stephen Yeon with me at NPR West in Culver City. I so enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do too. My Korean is so bad. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I just moved back from Seoul. Oh, you did? Yeah, I'm Chinese American. Uh huh. And I opened the first Seoul Bureau. Whoa, cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Where were you living? Yongsan. Oh, nice. Yeah, near the Itaewon? Yeah, and near the um, base. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, now it's like. That's like the poppin' area. Did you ever go to um, Just BLT? No. They make Just, Just BLTs. BLTs. Yeah, I figure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, and uh, we're really excited you're here. And mm. it comes at the end of this big year for Asian representation. Mm. Asian August. You know, our civilizations have been only been around for like 5,000 years. So mm-hmm. every once in a while, there's an August mm-hmm. where there's... Asians on the mm-hmm. cover of magazines. Mm-hmm. What do you make of all of this? What do you make of that moment? And um, do you feel sort of annoyingly obligated to talk about identity a lot more? Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Like, yeah, like, and and I don't necessarily see it as necessarily annoying, but it is something that you know, if you've mentally gone through a journey for yourself to maybe find some self-identity or self-confidence independent of all these parameters that they put us in. To re-examine those things are fine and probably beneficial and good to put that out there. So I don't shy away from it, but at the same time, it's like, man, I want to like, I wish we could all move forward at the at the same pace. But I also understand like, to talk about it in this larger sense is probably really important. Yeah, but you're already so far along on your journey is what you're saying, right? So um, it's kind of like, oh, we're kind of going back to basics in this representation conversation. You well, wish it was further? Or? I think it'd be foolish for me to say like, oh, I'm so far along in my journey. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I gr- we, people grow in certain areas and then they don't grow in other areas. So, um you know, I'm probably I'm pretty sure there'll be many more realizations that I'll make for myself about my own personal identity. But I will say, like, you know, the fact that we're still talking about like these really basic ideas of what it's like to be an Asian person 
that I felt like we visited during the era when Margaret Cho was trying to do it. We keep coming back to the same basics. It's as if we haven't moved forward in the discussion of like, what are the nuances of why being an Asian person might be different or interesting? Rather, it becomes more about like, hey, sometimes like we take our shoes off in the house or like we use chopsticks. And thankfully, we're not at that type of basic now that people know and people have smartly caught on to you should just take your shoes off independent of whether you're an Asian person right. or not. I think it's yeah, just Yeah, because it's healthy. sort of savage to walk around yeah, that's insane. inside your house. It's insane. And where's your floor heating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. the umdol? Yeah. Where's, the, where's <laughs> the radiant heat? Well, you've been toggling between the two uh, industries now and the two cultures now mm. uh, in recent years. Mm. So a lot of the listeners will know you from The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, But now starring in South Korea's submission Mm -hmm. for the Oscars, speaking in Korean the entire time. And it's it's a Korean film. You're the only Korean American in Burning. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering if the roles you've taken on in your career have helped you uh, helped you in this identity journey. Yeah, I will say for myself to have become someone that people recognize um for me to have gained whatever notoriety for me to have gained um whatever job or wealth over time the privilege that i've acquired over time has only allowed me to be more comfortable in my skin or examine myself in a place that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do so and so i'm definitely lucky in that regard and um Starting with Glenn Ree uh, from Walking Dead, you know, you're. I was just a kid that was just shocked that someone let me on to television. And then <laughs> um, I was like, okay. And so you see, I grew as an actor and I grew as a person. And then as I grew, you know, I, tr- I subsequently outgrew the parameters of that role because there is also this massive weight that's kind of oddly put on your shoulders as one of the few Asian Americans that are on TV at the time where it's like, oh, you're representing like for all of us. And then so you're kind of doing this work of like, what does it mean to be an Asian person? Um, And then I got to do other things like Okja where I got to really examine what it means to be a Korean American where I tread the lines between America and Korea within the context of the film and within the context of literal filming. Um, and then you get to do something like Sorry to Bother You or Mayhem, where like your ethnicity really doesn't take a central focus. Right. Um, and then you get to Burning, where your ethnicity really doesn't t- take a central focus. However, the way that I have to talk about it here, the entry point is always kind of like South Korea submission with a Korean-American actor. And while those are all true and very poignant and correct... Um, it is this American lens by which we view these things as, as opposed to if that was made with a, you know, in America with an all-white cast, they would just be like, what, a, be. what yeah. a cool thriller. Since you're on the topic of burning, um, and for those of you who haven't seen it, it is a thriller. It's based, do you want to say a little bit about it? What's the what's the quick pitch for burning? Ooh, it's hard to pitch. Um, it's a thriller mystery about three young people in Seoul. Um, as their lives intertwine. It's a creepy love triangle. <laughs> sure, you could talk about it that way. Too. <laughs> um, lots of themes of alienation and repression. Mm. And based on a short story, a mm-hmm. Murakami short story, right? Called Barn Burning. Mm-hmm. 
there's also a lot of specific representation of what it's like Mm-hmm. In modern South Korea right now, mm-hmm. what do you think, especially now that it's representing South Korea as a country, what do you think it says about society there in this moment? Um, I think it says that everyone feels alone. Hmm. I think it says that people are very lonely, whether they're up on top of the totem pole or whether they're down below, whether they're um, a woman who's trapped by society to not feel free in her own skin, or they're a rich Gatsby that has lost touch with the world and feels isolated in his own way. Or just a general everyman that feels like he can't get his fair due or he's imprisoned by the social system. But when you look at that, like, how is that any different than America? (laughs) That becomes universal. Yeah. Time for a break. When we come back, Stephen talks about this Conan O'Brien skit that made him famous in South Korea. The following message comes from our sponsor, Capital One. The CreditWise app from Capital One recently released three new features, including a social security number tracker to help users quickly detect fraud for free. Here's head of CreditWise, Joe Whitchurch. While identity fraud is intimidating and can sound really complex, a little bit of effort can go a long way in helping you understand if you've been a victim of identity fraud. CreditWise is free for everyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. You can find CreditWise in your app or Play Store now. This season of the StoryCorps podcast from NPR is all about reunions. And on this week's Veterans Day episode, friendships forged on the battlefield and the road to reconnecting decades later. Episodes are available every Tuesday. So there's a lot of talk in South Korea about you've kind of made a name for yourself independent Mm. of any of your work in the U.S. And when I was over there, one of the reasons you were becoming really a big name was not actually because of uh, the work you've spent a whole lot of time doing, but actually as playing a straight man to Conan O'Brien. Mm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you all first went to a Jim Jilbong, a right, Korean right, spa, right, 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 right? In Los Angeles. And then um, he also went over to Korea, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of times mm-hmm. in Seoul. Um, let's listen to a clip of you and Conan eating a Korean meal. Mm. Like, what's that, I mean, I've example? seen, I've seen it. That's a, that's... Seriously? You no, have no it, so it looks like rice. Yeah. Um, You're my cultural ambassador. I, what are I you just doing? What it. is it? Oh, no, listen, I'm that's Irish. That's potato salad. Yes, that's I know potato, potato salad. salad. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. This was a... This was a Jewish delicatessen about 15 minutes ago. Those look like pancakes Yes, yes, Korean pancakes. <laughs> uh, uh, pajan. Pajan? Yep. Has, um... Whatever my mom puts in, I don't know. I just eat it. Okay. And then that is, so, what is it like for you, kind of having to be an ambassador to yeah. to to your culture? I think that kind of speaks to my point, which is, and this is this is no fault of of Conan's by any means. It's not a fault at all. It's just funny to kind of expose that aspect of it of what I kind of was saying earlier, which is, I'm a human being. And I don't know the inner workings of the entire country of Korea. (laughs) It was cool to be an ambassador because I feel like um, I offered a very neutral kind of this middle ground point of view for Uh it all. Um, But as I unpack it and as we talk about it in this context, it is funny to kind of see that it's like, oh, yeah, I'm being asked to like speak for a culture that how would I know what's made? (laughs) I don't even know what would be so specifically Korean that I would even know. Though you and your brother do have a bun shop here in L.A. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You you do have a restaurant. Yeah, but I mean, sure, like that's like, I know what's in the buns. Right, right. Um, But yeah, that that begs an interesting question of like how in some ways we're forced to represent the entirety of our culture when 
people don't know that in and of themselves. You have, um, we did do some Stephen Yeon reading, mm-hmm. and you have talked about um, being born in South Korea, then coming over to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, first Canada, right, and then mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, when you were five, mm-hmm. and being filled with a sort of rage, but uh, mm. one that you couldn't really define, especially mm. not as a kindergartner. Yeah. Um, what can you understand about that now? that maybe you couldn't have understood growing up? Well, I think Peppermint Candy from Director Lee really helped me to understand that. Um, Just what type of trauma um, Korean people have gone through or do go through through the system of the way that they live. You know, we have so much... um, There's Han. Han, right. uh, There's so much inherited trauma to that idea. Um, And can you kind of talk a little bit about what Han is? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Because this is in... Very difficult to define for yeah. a lot of Koreans. Yeah. Um, Han is just like this feeling of repression and angst and anger and heat. It, that kind of stems from this expression of trauma that the country has lived through, um, being uh, occupied multiple times by... Invaded, invaded by the Japanese yeah, multiple yeah, yeah, times. Yeah, Chinese, yeah. Uh, having the Korean War... Um, not feeling fully comfortable in their own skin if you want to kind of anthropomorphize an entire country. Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a country that has been told who they are and never felt the reality of who they are. And so you have this collectivist cultural way of being and expressing themselves that always has this kind of deep-seated anger connected to it. And um, uh, I think over time, you know, you go back to Korea these days and you see the younger generation and um, it's starting to dissipate because I think, you know, Korea is a richer nation now and they have the capacity now to like take care of their brain, their minds and their bodies and have the freedom and the spaciousness to like explore what this trauma might have done to them and like how to like deal with it. Take us back to you being five, sure. right? Is the is the rage you feel like you felt about... Um, your experience back then, did that have to do with, you know, collectivist Korean Han? Or was it more specific to being an immigrant child in in America? Um, was there a specific memory that, that you recall? I think it was all those things. You know, when you're the firstborn son or daughter, uh, when you're the firstborn child, you're the guinea pig of that family. And if you're in a really safe environment, because let's say your family has safety, whether they have wealth or whether they have some semblance of being able to provide for you a very safe environment, you can build confidence that way. But, you know, my upbringing was four and a half being moved to a complete different country where nobody looked the way that I Mm -hmm. look and I didn't speak any of the language. And I remember in Canada, in Regina, Saskatchewan, I was taken to kindergarten class and I went every single day kicking and screaming and like wailing, crying uh, down the hall until they just put me in the room and they just sat me in the corner and put a bunch of Play-Doh in front of my, in front of me to like just help me deal. I remember uh, asking my dad that the first English words that I learned was I said, Appa, what does don't cry mean? Oh. And like, <laughs> and so, you know, like, you're just scared. And then that probably combined with 
just this inherited trauma that I felt passed down from my own family contributed. And then just being the firstborn kid that has to like navigate like new terrain is like constantly like you're being shocked. And so now you're like careful and easy. And when you don't feel free in your own skin, you feel very angry. And your response, though, as a as an actor at first was comedy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, did you was that a deliberate choice, do you think? I think I figured that comedy was going to be my entryway. And I was good at it naturally because I just built it up over time to deflect, to learn how to guard myself, to learn how to get people to like me, um, to be charming. Um, And so those are skills that I never want to take back. Those are great (laughs) things that I've learned. And I'm happy to, I love comedy. Um, But I had to reassess what it was for me that got me there. And I think, you know, now the approach necessarily doesn't change to how I do comedy, but I'm conscious of the fact that I chose it for defense first, um, which is, I think, a lot of comedians upbringing too. Mm -hmm. Um, But mine was kind of added with this thing where I was like, you know, there's inherent comedy in being an Asian person too at that time. Right. The images of what Asian people were during that era, which was short round or long duck dong or some Mickey Rooney oh my terrible yellow face. Yeah. Like um, we were just meant to be inherently funny. Cartoonish. Yeah. Like our presence was funny. And so, you know, you lean into that. A final break here. In a minute, Stephen goes deep about his character Glenn from The Walking Dead. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Google Home Hub. You know how in the morning there's some stuff you need to see, but you never have the time to look it up? That's why there's Google Home Hub. It's a new kind of screen that gives you what you need at a glance. Just say, hey Google, good morning. Good morning, Ashley. It's 62 and sunny today. At 2 p.m., you have Jacob's piano lesson. Then get back to everything else you've got going on. That's Help at a Glance with Google Home Hub, available now at the Google Store and leading retailers. I'm Bob Boylan with the All Songs Considered podcast. 50 years ago, the Beatles made a mind-boggling double album. Hear the White Album as you've never heard it before. From demo tapes... Two brand new mixes. This week on All Songs Considered. As I listen to you, you seem so self-possessed and self-aware. Um, do you feel like that has your understanding of yourself as you've um, grown up and grown older and uh, continue to work in different ways? Has that affected your choices? How do you decide sort of what you do next mm. when... Asians are having such a moment, and you could be the next Aquaman if you wanted, I guess. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) who knows if they'll ever offer that. Um, I don't know. Um, I think the best way that I found for myself, and this is very unique to me, um, is just really try to get down to being comfortable in my own skin and then operate from that baseline. Um, I felt like I was doing a lot of mask work and acting in my entire life. Um, outside, I was like model citizen, uh-huh. you know, always, you know, people liked me. And like I, I put on this show that over time, I didn't even know it was a show. I just thought it was me. 
And then you get to like a comfort as you age of like removing a mask or removing a layer or like taking off some armor to be like, oh, I don't need this anymore because I feel fortified in my own skin. And so um, that's the journey that I've personally gone on. And in how that kind of reflects the choices that I make is what's unique to me as an individual, not what am, what choices should I make as an Asian person. But is this why you have kind of a complex relationship with your time on The Walking Dead? I've, I've read, for mm. instance, that you've called that experience beige, which is mm. usually <laughs> which is usually not a compliment, I think. Sure. Beige isn't, you know. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I don't walk that back, but I say it, um, it maybe in a better context of just acknowledging the fact that um, nobody was putting me anywhere. Um, people were just writing the ideas that they had that made sense to them and what makes sense to people is like the understanding of systems and identities and ethnicities as society knows them on a larger scale but I also put myself in those situations where you know it was my first role and so someone hands me a short round costume and says this is Glenn and it is off the pages of the comic book but I didn't have the balls to be like I don't want to wear this but I didn't I didn't have that. And and then after that you're like you get given these lines which are very much like help sometimes helpless. And instead of being able to turn those same lines with an imbuous uh, uh, uh some semblance of power within them because you can say a line many different ways mm-hmm. and you can make it powerful. Instead of that I was like I think they want me to play it like this. Mm. And you lean into the way that they want you to be. Even if, even if they're not asking you to do that, you perpetuate this thing because it's cyclical. And so in order to keep, feel safe, you play within the parameters that you were given. And but you're also projecting what you expect people a, want of you. Right? right, right. And so then that's why it was beige, was because I felt not fully realized. I, even though Glenn became more and more over time, he still had to feed a narrative of this almost too perfect being that was so altruistic, always wanted to do the right thing, had humanity and heart. And that's really wonderful. And I hope I meet that person in real life someday. <laughs> um, but uh, and nothing wrong with that, because those characters are to be aspirational. So I don't look back at that time and say, I hated that experience. I just look back at that time and say, I did not feel comfortable in my own skin. And that was a lot to do with me and a lot to do with how we understand what being an Asian person is in this country. I'm so struck by um, you talking about your time in kindergarten, the way you grew up and just being the only Asian American face in the Midwest. I grew up in Chesterfield, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis. Same thing, you know, Um, and you learn these constructs like that. You should be ashamed of who you are. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to sort of toss that off, right? But, you know, you and I are both parents. I yeah. saw on your Instagram you have a toddler, mm-hmm. I think born around the same time oh, as my cool. toddler, spring, right, 2017? Congratulations, 2017? yeah. Same to you. And um, I'm struck, like, sitting here in multicultural, pluralistic L.A., being so diverse, how different they're going to grow up mm-hmm. than how we grew up as children. And so when you think about that, when you think about the next generation, does that give you more hope for what's to come? Yeah, um, I do. I think, honestly, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of just like putting this out there. Um, Put it out there. That's what we like to do here on It's Been a Minute. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there's, and it's going to be great when I find out that like someone's already thought of this and put this in like an 
wonderful essay that I never read. Someone told me um, that To All the Boys I Loved Before was one of the biggest, most watched movies in the history of Netflix. Netflix yeah. And that's amazing. And it's geared towards the YA generation. And it stars an Asian American. It stars actress. an Asian American actress. And uh, Asian American and, family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a very multicultural whole reality within that context. And the fact that performed as well as it did kind of suggested to me that the young adults, the people that were that this was catering to, never had this as an issue. That their reality is like, yeah, so what? Like, okay, my friends are, I have a bunch of different eclectic friends. Like, what do you, what's the big deal? Here's a perfect example. Like, I had a friend who uh, was running a business and he had to, uh, he had to get a bunch of young employees for his, for his business. And um, there were eclectic mix of everyone, ethnicities, sexuality, like identity, all these different things. Um, and my friend was like, he called like a meeting together with all his employees. He's like, all right, guys, just so you know, there's an eclectic group of people here. We have to be respectful to each other. You know, um, please don't use words that are hurtful towards uh, the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And like he would say that. And the kids were like, yeah, why would I say that? And my friend was like, oh, I'm old because it's my it's his trauma. Right. It's his shame of probably saying that when he was a kid to be like, don't say that. That's messed up. But the kids are like, yeah, we don't say that because that's messed up. Right. <laughs> like, we already know that. Yeah. You don't uh, have to tell us that. Yeah, you don't have to tell us that. And look, are there areas of the country that need this? Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's just funny to look at it that way. What about your short-term future? What do you want to do next? Unshackled by all these questions of identity. <laughs> um. I just want to express myself. I don't know. Like, that sounds so privileged <laughs> to be like, I just want to I just want to be me. me. Yeah, I just want to be me. Um, hey, me too. Yeah, you know. Um, I don't know what I want to do. Um, it might ebb and flow with, you know, maybe I'll continue to act. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll try a hand at directing. Maybe I'll do something else. I um, Right now, I'm having a good time um, acquiring experiences and knowledge and trying to do the best job that I can for the very lucky work that I get to do. And I got to ask you, um, because South Korean skincare is so hot right now, <laughs> yeah. do you do a 12-step routine? What's your routine? I got really lucky. My mom got good skin. Oh, oh. This is what Koreans always say. They're like, I just drink a lot of water. <laughs> I don't drink enough water. <laughs> I, okay, you know what? Um, uh, if this gets me them to send me free stuff like that's cool but Burt's Bees Burt's Bees I use Burt's Bees yeah, a non-Korean product yeah I um but also I just I don't know I'm very lucky if if people like what my skin looks like that's really cool um I'm <laughs> they do. sorry that I don't take care of it as well as I should um I'll probably pay for it later but uh I thank my mom all right <laughs> thank you Mama Yon yeah, yes yes <laughs> thank you and thank you, Stephen Yon. Uh, his new film, Burning, is out in theaters nationwide. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to actor Stephen Yon. This interview made me feel so hopeful about the next generation not having to worry about the things that we talked about today. But we always want to hear from you, the listeners. So send me your feedback and your stories 
via email at ehu at npr.org or Twitter at E-L-I-S-E-W-H-O. I am back in your feeds on Friday. Sam will be back next week. Until then, as we say in Korean, go in peace or 안녕히 가세요.